Good morning. God bless you. You guys are looking good. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, well, let me just, uh, for those of you that are not, uh, that don't have Facebook, kind of let me bring you up to date on what's happened the last week or so. We, uh, uh, our family does uh, October 19th just about every year because it's the anniversary of our uh, our daughter and son-in-law, they got married in a place called uh, St. Pete's, uh, Pete's Beach, Florida, several years ago. And so we go out there just about every year, and uh, we have gone out there every year, and spend about a week, you know, just kind of downtime, relaxing. And so the, uh, the day before uh, we were supposed to uh, come, come back, we were actually going to stop back in Houston, um, my telephone rings. And uh, I get a call from the University of Colorado Hospital saying uh, we have a what's called a cadaver donor, someone that's brain dead uh, but has a liver. And that was at 4 o'clock in the afternoon, and they said, can you be here at uh, 10 o'clock tonight for a liver transplant? And, you know, boy, there's a lot of silence there on the end of the phone. I'm like, what? And so... Uh, I said, I'll let you know. We'll call you back. And so then, uh, you know, the, the family's kind of out gathered by the pool. And, uh, you know, we have to have the little family huddle up. We knew that, you know, that this phone call might come, but certainly weren't, weren't expecting it on our vacation. And, uh, and for those of you that are new and, and don't really know anything about this, uh, let me just a quick update is that about a year and a half ago, I had an ATV accident that uh, almost took my life. But in the process of having that accident, uh, the doctors discovered that what they thought was scar tissue on my liver, because I'd lacerated my liver in the accident, they thought I had scar tissue on the liver. It turned out to be a tumor. The tumor turned out to be cancerous. And um, in January, um, you know, they discovered that. In March, I went in for a treatment called a tasing treatment. Uh, where they, they go in, they send this little, it's kind of, kind of like angioplasty, where they run this tube up an artery in your leg uh, to your heart, if it's angioplasty, or to the liver in my case. And I'm watching the whole thing on a big screen, not quite as big as that, but about half that size. And uh, watching the entire operation, I'm, 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 or procedure, I'm awake during the whole time. They go in, and then where they uh, find out where the tumor is, they release a little chemo there. And uh, uh, you wait for a period of time, 90 days, they do another CAT scan on you. And then when they did the second CAT scan, they said that we got two-thirds of it. We want you to come back. And I did come back and, um, you know, did it again. And then they just said, you know, you're done. You know, you're cancer-free. You're cancer-free, but you still need a liver, okay? And I don't know if I made that clear to you, and apparently a lot of people didn't understand that as well. So while I'm cancer-free, I don't have cancer in my liver because of the damage that's there. And once you get cancer in your liver, uh, you know, the, uh, the, the chances and odds of it coming back are very strong. And so you get on a list. And uh, I have a very rare blood type. It's B, uh, B positive, same as my personality. And, uh, and anyway, so... Uh, you know, I, I, you know, you start moving up on the list, and you know, several months ago, I moved up to the number one position. And so, when I got the call, you know, uh, you know, we kind of, you know, you're expecting it, but you're not expecting it. And so, uh, we get the call, and you know, we decided just right then. But you know, one of the things that I realized is that uh, I had, uh, from the time that I got the call to the time that we made our reservations, uh, you know, to see if we could even get a flight out, to, uh, to the time that I got in the car, you know, the whole family is kind of there, and, you know, you don't really have a lot of time. How much can you say to, you know, 10 or 15 people that you love in two or three minutes? You know, you just can't say a whole lot. Uh, you know, you can say I love you, you know, I mean, you know, there's just not a whole lot to say. So, in having said all of that, if you get one thing out of this service this morning, I want to just encourage you, don't wait until you have two or three minutes. You, know, you start saying it right now. You start speaking it today. And, you know, tell people, 
you know, how much you love them, how much they mean to you, how much, you know, they have meant to you in your life, and, you know, don't wait till you have two or three minutes, which leads me to my message, okay? Um, we are, uh, t we've been talking about, uh, by the way, uh, Edward, where are you, Edward Romero? Right, right here in front of me. It did an awesome job. So, so grateful for you last uh, week filling in. And Melissa, his wife, you know, help, uh, they both helped with the, Jason with the youth. And they're just, you, know, you guys are just an awesome couple, and we just so appreciate you. You guys are, you know, a real blessing to us here at the light, you know. And... Oh. <laughs> I still got my liver. Uh, so, so anyway, um, so we, you know, I tell everybody, you know, I love you, goodbye. We jump on the plane. We go to uh, get to Denver. By, they wanted me there by 10 o'clock. I get there by 10 o'clock. And, uh, I mean, I go immediately into to, uh, like a pre-op. Uh, they do, they draw, draw blood work, x-rays, EKGs. Uh, at the same time that they're doing that to me, the cadaver body, there's a team of surgeons that's removing the liver from, you know, this, this body. And um, so they finished with me at about uh, one, about 12.30 uh, in the morning, and the doctor said, we'll come back in, and your surgery is going to be at between 5 and 7 this morning. This is 12.30 at midnight, or after midnight. And uh, about 2 o'clock in the morning, the doctors came in and said that the team of surgeons looked at the cadaver liver and said, you know, it's not going to be a fit for you. So thank you for coming. Take, get your clothes and get out of here. <laughs> so, and so I, we did. But anyway, uh, you know, I, I know that, you know, I, I, when I sent out uh, just a Facebook, you know, kind of a post, there was, gosh, you know, I'm so grateful. You know, you guys, all of you guys and people all over, just hundreds and hundreds of people praying for me. And, um, and people ask me all the time how I feel. And, you know, I, I promise you, I tell you, if I didn't know, and the doctors were not telling me that I was sick, I wouldn't know that I'm sick. I mean, my life has just gone on without missing a beat. Uh, I mean, you know, just as far as all the things that I do, I'm not hindered by this. I mean, they felt like because of the ATV accident, and I, and I could spend a whole sermon on that, but, you know, everybody said, oh, it's such a terrible thing, such an awful thing happened to you driving you know, 20 miles an hour off a canyon, breaking all these bones and stuff. But the doctors and nurses are saying, without having that accident, without this bad thing happening in my life, they would have never discovered the little tumor that was on my liver until it was too late. And they said that once you start having, you know, the pain and complications, then, you know, you're, you're on the downhill slippery slope, you know, it's, uh, it's pretty much over. But, you know, um, they caught it in time, and uh, I, I feel great. I don't, I don't, honestly, I don't feel like I'm sick. And, uh, you know, I, and I have been, you know, and I know that, you know, many of you have, have told me, you know, just believe God and, and trust God, and, and I, I certainly am doing that. I, I believe that God could heal me in just a moment. But I have been a rebellious person all of my life. I mean, I've been rebellious toward God and man for most of my life. And finally, you know, I just realized that, you know, you know, there are people, I, and I know it's going to be hard for some of you to believe this, but there are people in the world that know just a little bit more than you do, okay? And so, I, yeah, I finally just kind of came to the conclusion, you know, just listen to these guys. I mean, they've been to school, they're trained, they've got, you know, years and years and years of, of experience and success. And so, I, you know, I just kind of like, you know, surrender. You know, if this is what you think I need, you know, I'm, I'm willing to do it. And if God, you know, we get to that point and you open me up and say, wow, you know, mistake on our part, sewing back up. Hey, I'm good with that, too. So, um, all right, we got to get on with the message because I got some good stuff. You know, uh, there is a, a word that's called, it's kind of a fancy word. Um, it's called eschatology, and that means the study of the end or end times. And I told you the last time we spoke that, uh, you know, Matthew chapter 24 was one of my favorite scriptures. When I got saved, it was just like the disciples wanted to know about, how, how, you know, I mean, we live in this colossal world with all these planets and stars and moons and suns and just everything just so beautiful. I mean, the blades of grass, the drops of rain, everything is just so perfect. 
And, you know, and I'm not just wondering, you know, I mean, certainly it had a beginning and it's probably going to have an end. And this is what I felt like when I first got saved. And I always wanted to know what the end was going to look like. The disciples wanted to know what the end was going to look like. How is it, you know, how is this thing going to come to an end? And uh, before I tell you uh, that, uh, before we get into it, I just want to just quickly go to the Lord in prayer and just ask him once again just for his favor. Lord, we just ask your presence here and thank you for your, just your, your favor, your blessing, your presence, God, your goodness to us. Uh, Lord, you are a good God. You're a good, good God. We sang that song this morning. And Lord, we just, uh, we welcome you here and we pray that you would bless the speaker and bless the listener as well in Jesus' name. Amen. So, the question came up about the second coming. You guys will remember uh, after Jesus was resurrected from the, the grave or from the dead, that they said there were some, some other saints that they were seeing. And, you know, they saw these other saints that had been resurrected as well. And, you know, they came out of their graves. And as a result of that, this rumor spread that the resurrection had already come. And, uh, and so to the church at uh, Thessalonica, uh, it's, uh, the, it's actually the church of Thessalonians, um, and they are kind of like, uh, you know, just if you're, if you got a map, that's why they have these maps in the back, back of your Bible. But, you know, if you just kind of like look and, you know, just up, just kind of north of Greece and, and uh, in that area of uh, Corinth and the Aegean Sea area, uh, they're right in there, right there on the, on the coast. But he's, Paul is writing to this church and he says, now about the, um, what about the coming again of our, Lord Jesus Christ, and our being together, gathered together with him. Please don't be upset and excited, dear brothers, by rumor that this day of the Lord has already begun. If you hear of people having visions and special messages from God about this or letters that are supposed to have come from us, don't believe them. Don't be carried away and deceived regardless of what they say. For that day, this is talking about the end of the age, or we're talking about uh, the seventh week that missing week, or the 70th week, I'm sorry, uh, the seven-year period that Daniel spoke about in Daniel chapter 7, um, and that Daniel 7 and 9 speaks about this, but there, there's uh, the vision that, uh, that Daniel had about 70 weeks, and, and he covers 69, but then there's one week that's missing, and that's what he's talking about. He's talking about this missing week at the end of the age, and he says that that day... That day will not come until two things happen. First, there will be a time of great rebellion against God. And then the man of rebellion, who we call the Antichrist, the son of hell, uh, he will defy every god that there is, tear down every other uh, object of adoration and worship, and he will go in and sit as God in the temple of God, claiming that he himself is God. Now, remember Matthew chapter 24, we read this a, a couple of weeks ago, that Jesus said, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken by Daniel the prophet, and that comes in the middle of that week. He talks about exactly the time. So if you're looking for a timeline, you've got a seven-year period, and when this man comes at the middle of the period, he makes a covenant, and he's going to be a broker's broker. I mean, this is, this is the guy that puts together a deal that no one in, in several thousand years, and there's been many, many, many attempts. I mean, I, you hear, I've heard almost every political candidate say, I'd like to bring peace between the Palestinians and Israel. And it, there just seems to be no peace there. But someone is going to come in at some point and bring peace there. And believe it or not, they're going to allow, the Arabs are going to allow on what's called Mount Moriah or uh, where the uh, Mosque of Omar is today, the, the Arab temple, uh, where uh, they're going to allow, this guy is going to allow the, Jew, the Jews to build a temple there, not the complete temple, but they'll have the holiest, holy of holies, and they'll have the, the men's court. I think excluded out of that is the Gentile court and the court of the women. But they have enough to start the sacrifices, and they'll start the daily sacrifices again at that time. And so he says that when you see that happen, when you see the abomination of desolation, this is what Jesus said, man, just drop everything and leave because it is about to get bad. It's called, the, it's called tribulation. The seven-year period is called the tribulation period. 
It's also called the time of Jacob's trouble in Jeremiah chapter 33. I think it's verse 8, 8 or 18. I'll, I'll, look, I'll give it to you in a second. But he says, the great tribulation. And in the middle of this, it's just like, I mean, it couldn't get any worse, okay? And then he goes on and says, Paul does to uh, back to the church at uh, Thessalonians, Thessalonica. He said, don't you remember that I told you this when I was with you? And you know that uh, what is keeping him uh, from being here already, for he can only come when his time is ready. And God is just like holding everything back. And Peter tells us why God is holding things back. He says that there's some scoffers that don't believe this, but God is holding things back until, you know, everybody that's going to get saved gets saved. There are going to be some that aren't going to get saved. There are going to be those that reject God, reject his word, reject his son, and reject the truth. But there are going to be, there's going to come a time when God draws a line in the sand, and believe me, he won't move it. And, you know, it'll be, the end will be there. And it says, uh, it says, for he can only come when his time is ready. That means that God is controlling everything, even when the Antichrist shows up. As for the work of this man and the rebellion and the hell will, uh, do, that will do when he comes is already going on. But he himself will not come until the one, it's talking about the Holy Spirit, who is holding him back, steps out of the way. Holy Spirit steps out of the way and then there's a trumpet shout. The dead in Christ will rise first and then we which remain alive will be caught up together in the air. That's called the rapture, okay? And it says that then this wicked one will appear whom the Lord Jesus will burn up with the breath of his mouth and destroy by, the present, by his presence when he returns. This man of sin, or the Antichrist, will come as Satan's tool, full of satanic power, and tr will trick everyone with strange demonstrations and will do great miracles, and he will completely fool those who are on their way to hell because they have said no to the truth, and have refused to believe it, and love it, and let it save them. And then John writes in First uh, John chapter 2, Little children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard, the Antichrist is coming, and, uh, and now there are many, many Antichrists have come by which we know that this is the last hour. And so prior to Jesus coming, I mean, you couldn't have talked about, you could, there couldn't have been an Antichrist during, you know, Abraham's time. There couldn't have been an Antichrist against, you know, uh, or, or during the time of Moses or during the time of David or in Isaiah or Jeremiah or Malachi or any of the prophets. There couldn't have been an Antichrist during that time. There could only be an Antichrist after Christ comes, after Christ appears. And once Christ appeared, then there were many people that were opposed to them, and they were called Antichrist, little a, but there is one person that will come and rule the world. And I think that's why it's so important as we look at the world and the shape that it's in right now. It is ripe. The world is ripe right now for a one world government, a one world currency, and a one world religion. Okay? And so I believe that we're headed that way. I think it was B or someone sent me a... Uh, a uh, news clip from Russia, uh, and this was in either in their no newspaper or on their radio, asking people to find the closest nuclear shelter near them. Know your way. This is what the paper said, or the article said, know how to get to the closest nuclear shelter near you. Also have a stockpile of food. Why would they say that? Why would they say that? I mean, I haven't heard our government say that. And if somebody were to tell me to go to the near closest nuclear shelter, I'm not sure where I'd go. Probably Los Alamos. That's, gra that's ground zero. I'm just like, <laughs> I'm like, Lord, okay, I'm, I'm done. I'm ready. Take me. All right. So I, I don't, you know, so anyway, with the economy the way it is, with our nation the way it is, with our political system the way it is, it's all corrupt. And when Jesus comes back, he's going to find a corrupt economy, he's going to find a corrupt government, and he's going to find corrupt government. And when I say corrupt, I mean evil, evil in the sight of God. These things are going to be evil. And so, um, so that brings me to, uh, I, that, that scripture was uh, Jeremiah chapter 30, verse 7. 
it says, uh, in all of history, uh, when, uh, when has there ever been a time of terror such as uh, in that coming day? It's called the day of the Lord. The Old Testament refers to this, this time, that seven-year period, the tribulation period, or the great tribulation period. It's also called a time of Jacob's trouble. And that what uh, uh, Jeremiah talks about. It was talked about by many of the prophets in the Old Testament. And he says, in all of history, when has there ever been a time of terror such as the coming, this coming day? It is a time of trouble for my people Jacob, such as there has never been before. Yet God, listen to this, yet God will rescue them. And so I'm going to give you just a, the cliff notes because I, I really want to get to, uh, I want to talk to you about uh, the judgments that are coming in Revelation, and I, I really want to, you know, focus on the, the first group of judgments. There's, there are three groups of judgments. They're called the seven seals, and then followed by seven trumpets, and then se uh, followed by seven uh, bowls of wrath. And, uh, but I, I, let me just kind of walk you through this, because when we talk about the book of Revelation, it's probably the most unread book in the Bible besides the book of genealogies, okay? Okay. Uh, you know, it's just like we avoid it like the plague because it is about plagues. It's all about plagues, okay? And, uh, but I, I just want you to, I, I want you to hear this, okay? And maybe it'll change your mind about how you feel about the book. First of all, we're, we begin in verse 1 of chapter 1. It says, this book unveils some of the future activities soon to occur in the life of Jesus Christ. God permitted him to reveal these things to his servant John in a vision. Then an angel was sent from heaven to explain the vision's meaning. Okay, so John is in, uh, this is one of the disciples, one of the apostles. And by the time that this writing of this book, John has already been uh, put, uh, placed on an island called Patmos because of his preaching of the word. Many of the apostles and disciples have already been killed and martyred. All right. But listen to this, and this is in verse 3. And uh, if I were to ask you this morning, how many of you want to receive a blessing today? Okay. I do. I do as well. But listen to what this says. If you read this prophecy aloud to the church, you will receive a special blessing from the Lord. He's talking about me. Okay. But listen, those who listen to it being read, let's talk about you, and do what it says will also be blessed. For the time is near when these things will all come true. That was written 2,000 years ago. So we're 2,000 years closer to this event than we were when John wrote this. So that was in, that's in Revelation chapter 1, and John sees, you know, remember John leaning you know, I think it's, uh, you know, at the Last Supper, John's leaning against Jesus, and they're dipping the bread, and who is it, Lord, who's going to betray you? And they're just like buddy buddies slapping each other on the back. And then when John sees Jesus here in all of his glory, I mean, just splendor and glory, I mean, he says he falls to the ground like a dead man. He can't even move because of the glory of God. I mean, he's seeing Jesus like he has never seen Jesus before. And so the revelation begins to come, and Jesus and this angel begin to explain to John what's going to happen. And that's in chapter 1, Revelation chapter 2 and 3, talk about the church age. It talks about the different churches. There's seven letters written to seven churches. The churches are Ephesus, uh, Smyrna, Pergamos, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. Now, these seven churches actually existed. They really did exist. But they also are a picture of the history of the church throughout history. And so during certain, certain times in history, for the last 2,000 years, there's been um, uh, a church that looked like these churches did when Jesus wrote to them. And, and you know, say 500, year, 500 years uh, uh, ago, 1,000 years ago, there was a church that you know, reflected the image of one of these churches. And many historians and theologians believe that we, the church today, you and I, and, and the church throughout the world today, are the church of the Laodiceans. And the, this is the church that Jesus says, I know your works, that you're neither hot or cold. I wish that you were cold or hot, so that because you are lukewarm, neither cold nor hot, 
I will vomit you out of my mouth because you say I am rich and I've become wealthy and I have need of nothing. Do you not know that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked? Now, obviously, that's painting with a broad brush and not everyone is like that. And certainly, I hope that, you know, we're not like that, okay? I think that we have no in our heart that we need Jesus. And then in John chapter 4, that was the second and third uh, uh, chapters of Revelation. But in Revelation chapter 4, John has what I would call his own personal revelation. Jesus is showing him in, in chapters 1, 2, and 3 what's happening here on the earth, what the church is going to look like. But all of a sudden, the scene changes, and there's a shout from heaven saying, John, come up here. And so, boom, John is just like in the spirit, just transported up into heaven. He's right in the throne room of God. He's seeing God. He sees the 24 elders. And by the way, I think that John is one of those 24 elders. So this is kind of weird. You know, hey, that guy kind of looks like me. That is me. <laughs> anyway, 24 elders, he's looking at them. He sees this host of angels. You know, uh, the, the church is there. It's just you know, thousands and millions of people there around the throne of God, worshiping God. And uh, so, so what God is saying to John, he says, I want you to, uh, you know, I want to show you something, but you can't see it from where you are. You've got to come up here. Now, let me just put a little parentheses around this, okay? There are some things that you and I biblically or scripturally may not agree on, like a pre-trip pre-tribulation rapture, a mid-tribulation rapture, a post-tribulation rapture, you know. Paul, in writing to the Romans, says that, look, some of you think that eating meat that's been offered to idols is okay. And if, you know, if your conscience doesn't bother you, fine, just do it. If your conscience bothers you, don't do it. So there's some things that you think that you can eat, and other people will think you shouldn't eat it. He said, don't judge your brother. There's some people that think you can drink. Some people think you can have a glass of wine. Some people think you shouldn't. He said, don't judge your, your brother. He said, before their own master, they will stand, and fall, or stand or fall. And so what he's saying is don't let disagreements on things like this ever bring separation to the body of Christ. Don't be divided over this. You know, I mean, this, we're not talking about a matter of salvation or a matter of eternity. We're talking about you know, there are people that are very firm in what they believe about the, uh, the, the rapture. But uh, so besides that, so we get, we get into this next point. So God has brought John up into heaven, and John is looking down. He says, I want you to look down. It says, and some of your translations will say then. The Greek word means kai, K-A-I, and it means that the next thing that John saw, the next thing that John witnessed. He saw God in all his glory. He saw the lamb sitting on the throne. He saw, you know, he's, uh, you know, there's weeping in heaven because they're saying, who is worthy to open the scroll uh, and open the seals of the scroll? That, you know, and John began to weep because he's, no one was worthy. No one in heaven was worthy to, to begin to open the scroll. And John began to weep. And uh, an angel came to him and said, don't worry, don't weep. He says, the lamb that was slain is worthy to open the scroll. And so that's what we're talking about. We're talking about the seven seals. And so Jesus begins to open these seals. And, the, you know, the, a scroll, we would call it a book today, but it was more like uh, it was a parchment, a vellum-type material that was written on, and it would be just kind of rolled up, and you'd just unroll it. And then you'd have a seal and you'd go to the next one. And so John is there. He's in heaven looking down on earth. And God is saying, I'm going to show you what is about to happen. Okay? Or what's going to happen. And he says, and I watched the lamb open one of the seven seals. And I heard one of the four living creatures say with a voice like thunder, come. And I looked and behold, a white horse and its rider had a bow and a crown was giving the, given to him, and he came out conquering and to conquer. So this is the, the introduction of the Antichrist in the book of Revelation. This is the, the man of sin, this man of lawlessness has arrived. He's on the scene now in Revelation chapter 6. And so John says, I looked at, at him, 
And, and there's a lot of imagery, and I think it's one of the reasons that we kind of avoid the book. There's a lot of imagery, there's a lot of symbolism, and we get hung up on this thing. I think this means this. Well, John couldn't quite describe it. So, you know, these things that came out with long tails, that probably was helicopters. And, you know, and, you know we just get, we get lost in things like that. And if you just keep reading, you know, usually the explanation is in the verse or in the chapter or in the broader text of the, of the Bible. You can find out what he's talking about. And so John is saying, I saw his first writer come out. It's called, the, you've heard of the, the, the four uh, uh, writers of the apocalypse. Uh, and so the first writer comes out on a white horse. Typically a white horse is given to someone that, that comes in after a battle is won. Uh, the general would ride in on a white horse. Uh, we see uh, in the Old Testament, uh, King Solomon, when he came riding in, when he came riding in, he came riding in on uh, one of David's mules. Uh, the book of Judges talks about white uh, donkeys. We know that Jesus in uh, Revelation chapter 19, when he's coming back to you know, seal the deal, it's going to be over in Revelation chapter 19, he comes back on a white horse. But John is seeing the Antichrist come, and he's coming with a bow, but he doesn't have any arrows. He just has a bow. And uh, it says that a crown was given to him. There's two types of crowns that are mentioned in the Bible. One is called a diadem, which uh, those that are born into royalty, like you know King Prince George, or you know, uh, you know some of these are born into royalty. Jesus was born. Remember uh, when the wise men uh, uh, came to Herod? They said, "Where is he that is born King of the Jews?" We see. I sing a song, bring forth the royal diadem and crown him Lord of all. So diadem is a type of crown that is given. It's born, it's given because you were born into royalty. Jesus was given a crown, a diadem, because he was born as the son of God. But this type of crown is called a Stephanos. And this is the kind of crown that you receive from some type of military victory, you know, where you'd be promoted, and this is what has happened, that this man that has been able to bring peace to the world for a period of time and bring peace between the Arabs and the Jews, allowing the Jews to build their temple there, it's just like, man, this is a, this is a broker's broker. I mean, he put the deal together that for thousands of years no one has been able to put together, and so he is crowned with a Stephanos-type crown, one that he earned, all right? And so, uh, so with the breaking of the first seal, we identify the man of lawlessness. The white horse, just, you know, if you can for a moment, I know that we're, we're thinking about horses, but I don't want you to think about a horse as a horse. I want you to think about a horse as a transportation or a transition from one point to another. And I think that the symbolism is not in the horse, but it is in the color of the horses. There are four horses and four different colors. And so a white horse means victory. Um, he has achieved some type of victory that has allowed him to be crowned as the ruler of the world. And, uh, and, and keep in mind that he is only able to do what he's doing because Jesus opened the seal. He opens the first seal. All right? And uh, it says that he goes out conquering and to conquer. That implies that he's going out into the world uh, to conquer the world. And it's a process that takes time. And then he opens the second seal, and I heard a second living creature saying, Come, and, it, um, uh, and uh, out came another horse, a bright red. All right? And so if we're not thinking about, you know, horses, but we're thinking about colors, you know, think about red for a moment. You know, red is, uh, you know, an indicator on a, a thermometer. Uh, a stop sign, but in the context that we're reading right here, it says, a man comes out on another horse, bright red, and its rider was able to take away peace from the earth, this peace that was just previously established by the, the other rider. This is still, I believe, the Antichrist riding all of the horses here. Its rider was permitted to take peace from the earth so that people would slay one another and he was given a great sword. So if he was given a great sword, 
and people were able to slay one another, what do you think red stands for? Blood, absolutely. Okay, and so uh, it's logical. And so then we'll move on to the third seal. He says, I heard a third living creature saying, Come, and I looked, and behold, a black horse, and its rider had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard what seemed to be the voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a denarius, and three quarts of barley for a denarius. Do not harm the oil and the wine. And so, like the red horse uh, and the white horse, the black horse can be associated with typically, you know, What's the color of a funeral? If you're going to a funeral, black, right? So you'd normally wear black. And so this black horse, and it says, in, given the context, uh, he had a, a, a scale in his hand, and he seems to be talking about a quart of wheat for a denarius and three quarts of barley. Some of us will get lost right there. But scales, up until modern time, where almost everyone had a set. And it was used to, you know, weigh out for trade, for bartering, uh, and uh, for, you know, weighing certain objects. You put a, an object of a known weight on one side and an unknown weight on the other side, and when they balanced out, you knew what the weight was, what you were buying. And so we see this guy going out with a scale in his hands, and, uh, you know, it, he's, he's talking about... Uh, you know, the, the, uh, he, he's talking about a quart of wheat for uh, a denarius, or three quarts of, of barley. In uh, the day of Rome, the denarius was a, was a coin. It was uh, four grams, a little, I think 4.5 grams of silver in a coin. And a denarius was the equivalent of a day's wage during that time. So a day's wage today, okay, minimum wage here in Santa Fe, about $10 an hour, right? So eight-hour day would be about $80. So a denarius was equivalent to a day's wage. And so with a day's wage, with a, with a day's wage for $80, you could go to the market today, and with $80, you could probably buy, if you were frugal and bought the right kind of stuff, you know, you could probably survive you know, 12 days, two weeks, on $80 worth of groceries, right? Some of you are thinking, hey, wait a, wait, wait a second. <laughs> Have you been to the grocery store lately? All right. But what they're saying now, with, with the way things are, we've got a white horse that brought peace, we've got a red horse that has brought war and destruction, and now we've got a, a, a black horse that is bringing death. And because of all of these things, typically, you know, when war goes on, the military gets most of the food. I, I guys, you guys that have watched many of these movies, you know, old movies, when the military comes in, they'll come in. I mean, even during the time of Gideon, uh, when, the, when, the, when Gideon was, uh, I think it was the Amorites or the Malachites or whoever it was, uh, came in, they'd come in and plunder the field, and, and that's what was going on. That's what's going on here, that he's saying that for a day's wage, okay, where you could normally, even during John's time, a denarius would buy, you know, 12 days, two, two weeks worth of food, but they're saying that things are so bad on the face of the earth that you have to work one day to just be able to survive, to buy a loaf of bread or, or one and a half loaves of bread for your family. That's how, I mean, inflation is out of control. And, uh, you know, because of all of the things, because of war, because of all of these things that are going on, I mean, the world is in absolute turmoil. And so, uh, you know, if you, if you made $80, you might be able to buy a loaf and a, and a half of bread. And then he opened up the fourth seal, and I heard a voice saying, Come and look, and I looked, and a pale horse. And that word uh, translates, uh, someone has a different word. I can't think of the word right now. King James, anybody got it? Paul, get King James guy. Huh? Pale? Okay, there's another word that's used. Ashen. Who said ashen? Right there, ashen. The Greek word for ashen uh, translates uh, as uh, uh, chloros, 
and we get our word chlorophyll from that word. It means greenish, okay? And it's almost the color that a dead body would turn after several days of being dead, okay? And so he's riding this fourth horse. It's a, 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 it's a pale horse, and his name is, or the rider's name is Death, and Hades follows him, okay? So, so, what the, so I mean, this is just a natural course where you have war, and then after war, you would have, you know, uh, sickness and disease and pestilence, and then after pestilence, after those things, then you would have death. But notice this right here. He says, death and Hades. Hades is the place where unbelievers go. The Bible says that for a believer to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. You remember in the story of Abraham in the, in the book of Luke, I think it's in Luke chapter 16, the story of Lazarus and the rich man. And the rich man in those days, in that time, there, uh, there, the, the, that hell or, or the grave, there were two compartments in, uh, Nina and I have this discussion a lot, but there were two compartments. There, there was uh, a place where unbelievers went that were separated, and that's where the rich man went. The rich man was in torment in hell. He was in hell, but he could look across the chasm, and he could see in this other part of hell, what is just called Abraham's bosom, that that Lazarus, this poor man, you know, was Abraham was embracing him and and taking care of him and comforting him, and uh, and so when Jesus you know, rose from the dead. It said that he led captivity captive. And what that means is that he emptied out the part of hell that had Abraham's bosom and all of those that believers that were there took them to heaven with him. That was the resurrection of the just right there. But death at death, okay, get this, death and Hades. This death and then Hades is for the unbelievers. So the unbelievers, after this fourth horse comes and says, look, he says, when the fourth living creature says, come, I looked and a pale horse and his name and his rider was, was death. You know, well, well, death is not a person. Death is a condition. Just as Hades is not a person riding a horse, but Hades is a place. And so you have a condition of being dead and a, uh, uh, and a location or a position you know, being in Hades, and that is the place for unbelievers. And when believers die, we'll see here in just a moment that they go to heaven. And so, um, and it says, and they were given, death and Hades were given the authority over one-fourth. I want you to think about this, guys, because I believe, honestly, I, I'm not just sharing a message. I didn't just kind of flip through the Bible and come up with something to talk about today. I really believe that we're at the edge of, of this time in, in history. And it says that all of these things, the war, the, the pestilence, the disease, pestilence would be like the Black Plague it's in Europe uh, and, and death and starvation because, you know, there, there's just not food around and the military's taking most of the food. It says death and Hades followed him. It says there was given over, they were, and they were given authority over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword and with famine and with pestilence. And of course, I, this last one is kind of crazy, but with wild beasts. But it makes sense, you know, if there's no food growing and there's no crops and people are out trying to scavenge, scavenge, you know, out in the wilderness, you know, they're taking what the animals would normally eat. And so the animals now, in turn, have gone back into the fields where the people are planting and, and eating them. I've got a, a plat or a map up here, I think. Is that our next one? All right. All right. You can see in the upper left-hand corner, that is uh, North America. Uh, right now, in North America, now there's, a, there's about, uh, keep in mind, they were able to kill one-fourth of the world's population. Right now, the world's population is approaching eight billion, 
8 billion people in the world, okay? In North America, you can see in the upper left-hand corner there, Canada and, and up above, uh, there's 528 million. So we're, we're trying to get to 2 billion people. I want to show you what, what the world looks like when you take 2 billion people off of the face of the earth. There's 528 million people in North America. In South America, uh, just below that, bottom left, there's 422 million. So that's about 1 billion people between North, you take out, wipe out all of North America and wipe out all of South America, you've only taken out 1 billion people. And so then if you add Africa uh, down kind of in the center, uh, that's 1.26 uh, million, uh, or excuse me, 1.26 billion people. And then if you take all of Europe above Africa there, uh, you've taken out 743 million people. The total of those numbers are close to 2 billion. So you wipe out one-fourth of the world's population is take out all of North America, take out all of South America, take out all of Europe, and take out all of Africa, and you've taken out about one-fourth of the world's population. Okay? Okay. Uh, that still leaves about, uh, there's, right now there's uh, 4.4 and billion people in Asia alone, and the rest of it will add up to the number that we're looking for. And so, you know, the sword comes, famine comes, pestilence comes, wild beasts, and, uh, you know, and so those are the first first. For, uh, riders on the first horses, the white horse, the red horse, the black horse, and the pale horse. And when they are done, and this is very early in the tribulation period, very early in that seven-year tribulation period, uh, two, uh, four, or excuse me, two billion people have been wiped off the face of the earth. And you know what? I'm going to tell you that something right now, that you and I know some of those two billion people. And wouldn't it be good if we could get them into the kingdom of God before this day comes? And then I want to move on to the fifth seal. And so we have fourth writers, four writers, and then I'm just going to try to wrap this up and we'll pick it up next week. Um, when the fourth writer is done, then everything shifts from earth back to heaven. And when he, speaking about Jesus, opens the fifth seal, I saw under the altar, the altar of where? Where's John? John's in heaven. So he's looking under the altar of God in heaven. And he saw under the altar the souls of those that had been slain for the word of God and for the witness that they had borne. Now, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this today. But if you have a rapture that has come and taken all of the believers off of the face of the world and the Holy Spirit is gone, who are these believers here that have been killed? The Bible calls them tribulation saints. They are not the bride of Christ like you and I are. They are tribulation saints. We understand, and you need to understand, that there are different, what we call dispensations. The way that God dealt with man during the time, that the way that he dealt with Adam in, in that time period, the way that God dealt with man up into the time of Noah, the way that God dealt with man after the time of Noah up to the time of Moses, and the way that God dealt with man between the time of Moses and the time of Christ and the way that God has dealt with man from Christ until the rapture of the church. These are called uh, dispensational periods. God deals with each uh, dispensational period differently. We're in a different dispensation right now, and these are called tribulation saints. We'll talk more about that. But the, he says, I saw an altar, and notice the word. Be, be careful when you read through this. And the souls. He said, I saw the souls. Well, what are you made of? You're made, I mean, we are, 
When Jesus came back in his resurrected body, he had a body and a soul and a spirit, okay? But John is only seeing the souls, just the souls of those uh, tribulation saints. And it says, it says that they had been slain for the word of God, that means the Bible, and for the witness that they had, they had borne, the witness of Jesus Christ. These are people that came to faith after the rapture. And they cried with a loud voice, O sovereign God, holy and true, how long will it be before you uh, judge and avenge our blood on those that dwell on the face of the earth? And then they were given each a white robe and told to rest for a little while longer until the number of their fellow servants, what God is saying, look, you know, we're in this time period, we're in the seven-year period, and we'll talk again about this more, he said, but there's, a, there's others that are going to, just like you, they're going to end up giving their life because of their testimony in me, of me, and because of the word of God. He says, uh, and it says that uh, there are others, your brothers, there's a number of your other brothers that have to be killed just as you were. And so, so we move from horses to this scene in heaven, and then we see uh, John like looking and, and, and seeing the cries of these souls. Lord, what are you doing? You know, what, what's happening here? And uh, it says that they were killed because of the word of God and that more would, would have to be killed. They, what we learn from this is that they were Christians, they were killed for their testimony, and that, that they were tribulation saints. And then we go on to the final seal, the sixth seal. And all of the, the seals and the trumpets and the, uh, the trumpets and the, and the bowls all end the same way. There seems to be just you know, this cataclysmic, just, you know, just earth-shaking event. And let me just say this, that up until this point right here, uh, most people on the world are going to look at this and say, you know what? I mean, this is just terrible. I mean, you know, it's just, you know, we've all seen earthquakes. We've all seen tsunamis. We've all seen, you know, forest fires. We've all seen flooding. We've all seen terrible things that we just attribute to, well, Mother Nature. That's just nature running its course. And during this time period, up until the sixth seal that we're about to read, the world is just going to say, they, they are not going to add God to the equation. They're just going to think that this is, Mother Nature gone awry. Terrible things are happening in the world. But it says that when he opened the sixth seal, when Jesus opened the sixth seal, permitting these things to happen, John says, I looked and behold, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth, and the full moon became like blood. All right, I want you to just think about those two comments right there. If the sun is black, okay, how can, the, how can the moon possibly be red like blood? I mean, doesn't the moon reflect what the sun shines? Isn't the moon a reflection of the sun? And so if there is no sun, how can the moon reflect anything? But they are seeing the sun turn totally black in the middle of the day for periods of time. And the, and, the, and the moon turning blood red. In Acts chapter 3, uh, Peter talking about, or Acts chapter 2, Peter talking about, you know, when he was asked, asked a question, what's going on? What's, what does this mean? Why are these people doing these things? And uh, these guys are drunk with new wine. And Peter's like, no, they're not drunk with new wine. This is what the prophet Joel said. And you can read the same thing in Joel chapter 2. Uh, they both say the same thing. The sun will turn black and the moon will be blood red. And then he says, and the stars of the sky fell to the earth uh, as, figs tree, as a fig tree sheds its winter fruit and shaken by a gale. Now, we, we read early on in, uh, in, in the book of Revelation, in John chapter 1, it talks about, you know, we talk about translations and signs and symbols. And it says that I, John says that I saw someone standing in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks and he had the seven stars in his hands. And Jesus begins to explain. He says, well, the seven candlesticks, seven candlesticks are the churches and the seven stars are the angels. And so when we start to try to do interpretation 
you know, why wouldn't we say, you know, why, why wouldn't we say that I, I saw the sun and the moon and the stars. When I say the sun and the moon and the stars, you know, you, your mind doesn't think sun, moon, and angels, does it? No, your, your mind is thinking sun, moon, and stars. I mean, we're thinking and we're talking about in the context of all of this, we're talking about cosmic things, the sun and the moon and the stars. But yet we know that it's not possible. I mean, most stars in the universe are, you know, hundreds of times larger than our earth, so we cannot have stars falling on the earth, okay? I mean, if they got anywhere close, the, you know, the fire, the heat alone would just consume us. And so what is John saying? He's saying, I saw the sun turn dark. I saw the moon turn to blood red. And then he said, and I saw the stars. You know, that would be probably a meteorite shower just, you know, just bombarding the earth and possibly wiping out, you know, uh, North America, South America, Europe, and uh, uh, Africa, as I showed on the, on the map. It could be something like that. And then he goes on to say, he says, the sun will be turned into darkness. So this is from uh, Acts chapter 2, and the moon into blood red. Um, but then he says, in verse 14, he says, and the sky, uh, now this is really important, the sky vanished like a scroll that is being rolled up, and every mountain island was removed from its place. Now listen to this carefully. And the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone, slave and free, hid themselves in caves among the rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains and the rocks to fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath, this time of Jacob's trouble, the great day of their wrath has come, and who can stand? Now listen, the entire world, and he doesn't leave any category out, you know, whether you're rich or whether you're poor, whether you're a free man, whether you're a slave, the entire world sees something that is very difficult. How does the world see this at one time? I believe, this is my personal belief, belief that when it says that the sky rolled up and receded like a scroll, I believe that the entire world had the same vision of the throne room of God that John had when he walked into heaven. He walks into heaven, he sees God sitting on the throne, and he sees the lamb sitting beside him. And think about it, of how they describe him. That says that they cry out for the rocks and the mountains to fall on us and hide us from the face of him that is seated on the throne. And how did they know? How, did they, how were they able to understand that there was a lamb sitting next to him? The entire world at that point sees God the Father and the lamb seated next to him on the throne. The entire world sees it. Rich and poor, free and slave. Everybody sees it. But there's one thing that's really missing that really troubles me in this. Them knowing that there is a God in heaven. Knowing that there is a, he has a son named Jesus Christ. Knowing that he's coming to bring wrath. And there's not one mention of Lord I'm sorry for my sins. Please forgive me. I repent of my sins. Not one mention of it here in this passage of Scripture. A hardened heart. A hardened heart. Disobeying the truth. Rejecting the truth. Now, we're going to pick up right there next week when we come back together. You know, I, hope you, I hope I'm not moving too fast for you guys. I know it's a lot to consume and assimilate, but... Uh, you know, I, I, I just believe that, you know, as we read earlier, I'm blessed by speaking it. You're blessed by listening to it. And the more we listen to it, the more we'll get out of it. And, you know, I mean, the bottom line is, guys, we don't want anybody to go through this. We want our friends and loved ones to be caught up together with him in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Stand in with me, please. Hallelujah. We serve a great God. He's an awesome, he's an awesome God. Amen.
Well, Father, I just pray that, Lord, your word speaks about how the enemy loves to come and steal the, the word of God, the seed that has been sown. But I'm just going to ask that you would seal the seed this morning with the blood of your son, Jesus. God, cover it. Cover the seed. Cause it to spring forth. Water it with your word. Cause it to spring forth and bring a, bring a harvest. Lord, each of us know someone that we love, that we need to tell them we love. We care for them. We want to see them with us in heaven. Lord, I pray that you would lead us even today to make a phone call. Write a note, send a text, send an email, post something on Facebook about those that you love and those that you care for. Let me just say to you, if you need prayer for anything, our prayer ministers will be lined up right here. And while the rest of you are leaving, you can visit in the lobby and the coffee area out there. If you need prayer for anything, I, you know, I know that people struggle. I mean, we have all kinds of struggles in life, whether it's marriage or you know, divorce or separation, relationships. We have trouble at work and with employees and employers. We have financial problems on our plate. We have bills that we wonder how we're going to pay. Uh, we have sicknesses and, and uh, issues that we have to deal with that are heavy on our heart. And I just want to tell you that whatever's heavy on your heart today is also concerns God. And he says, bring everything to him in prayer. I want to encourage you, prayer ministers, if you guys would just get up and line yourself up right here. And those of you that need prayer, please come forward. I just say God bless you guys. And, you know, just go with the peace and the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And remember that you are the light of the world. Let your light shine into someone's dark life. God bless you guys. I love you.